Hi, this is Joe Shannon. I'm a lawyer, a husband, a father of six kids, and I also uh, host a podcast called Opening Statement with Joe Shannon. Please consider listening to our podcast on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple, and any other folks that host podcasts. Just Google Joe Shannon and podcast and you'll find it. I hope you enjoyed the show. <laughs> so I'm really excited uh, for this conversation uh, with Father Dennis Paul. Father Dennis was put in kind of an awkward position. He he was he came to our um, our parish Saint Joan of Arc in Lyle, um, and was was transferred there for an interim spot and. Um, immediately, the folks of St. Joan of Arc fell in love with uh, his dog, Brutus, and we kind of like Father Dennis, too, but no, I, <laughs> so, so, so Father Dennis uh, has been absolutely amazing for our parish. We're going to be really sad to see him go um, into June, but a really wonderful guy. I think you're going to enjoy this conversation, so welcome, Father Dennis. Well, thank you. It's really good to be here, and thanks for the uh, very warm and kind intro. And uh, yeah, everybody takes my dog first before they take to me. If I had four legs and a tail, I'm sure it would be uh, I'd be just as loved. But uh. <laughs> yeah, so um, you know, one of the things that I, that was interesting to me, Father, and, and maybe you can give me the backstory here. When you're saying mass um, at and at the rectory, the dog goes outside and. Um, I can hear him every now and then saying, come back, Father Dennis, I miss you. Is that, yeah. is that what goes on? It, he does not like it when I'm away from him. Um, and, and especially when he's outside and I'm going over to say mass, he knows where I'm at. And he really, yeah, he, he barks a lot. He wants me to bring, he just wants to be where I'm at. And I think part of that was, um, well, he's been like that since, even since he was a pup. I had him since he was nine weeks old. And uh, so we've always had that real strong bond. He didn't like it when I left him, even as a pup. I mean, I wouldn't leave him that long, maybe just for an hour or something like that. Um, so he, he's just been very, we just had, had a very tight bond, even from the beginning. And, uh, and I think me being gone for six months before, I was gone uh, on sabbatical for six months, and I had to leave him with some friends of mine. And he knew them, but um, I think that really kind of shook him, you know, me being gone so long. He's never experienced me being gone that long, and I'd never been that far away from him either and uh, so I think now he's probably wondering why can't I get rid of this guy <laughs> he, was, he was he was gone for six months and COVID hit and he hasn't you know and now he can't get away from me uh but he, he you know but he's just a great dog how 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 did you get him tell us the story about how you got Brutus oh that's a that's a it's an amazing story I my previous dog was Thor and I had to put him down in uh, he was four years old and I had put him down uh about four years ago um and uh, he had cancer and a huge tumor and uh, found out that day that he had cancer and that he only had basically three months to live. So I had to put him down that day. And I was absolutely heartbroken because uh, I had him from since he was a pup. And, uh, and he was the first dog I ever had. Um, and uh, so, you know, uh, and, I, and I swore I wasn't going to get another dog. I was not going to go through that again. There was just no way I was going to get another dog. And uh, so what happened was... Um, um, I, I started looking and which was the first mistake I started looking and, uh, this is about, this is about a month after, after he had died. And, uh, I found this, found this, uh, found a couple of breeders and, uh, you know, and this one up in, uh, uh, oh gosh, I forgot, uh, Marengo, uh, really kind of, you know, just emailing her back and forth. She just seemed to really understand my situation where I was coming from. Um, and, uh, so I went up to visit her and I visit and she had a litter and it, it was a litter of three boys and four girls. And, um, uh, I, I just fell in love with the pups. And, uh, so, um, the way it works is, um, you put, you know, you put your name in and then whatever order you're in the name in, in whatever order your name is in is the order you go in to select the dog. So, cause I was, cause I was looking for a male. I was the second one. I would get the second pick of the males. And uh, so what we did is at the end of August, 
Uh, she does what's called the puppy temperament test. She just gets to determine what the dog is like. Is he really dominant or really submissive? And uh, um, it's a series of tests. And uh, so we're sitting in this big, I mean, I mean, it's big enough to park a semi-trailer in, right? It's just this big, huge room. And there's about eight of us there because, you know, and, uh, and we're all sitting at the edge of the, uh, of, of the trailer, of the, uh, of the room. And, uh, you know, she did the first dog and the dog was just super chill, great dog. And then the, uh, they did the dog who would end up being Brutus for me. Uh, and uh, what happened was um, they started the test and they had to stop for a second. Uh, they had to stop for a little bit. And this dog <laughs> ran over uh, to where we were all sitting. Uh, he smelled my shoe first and then he kind of went down and sniffed everybody out. And then he came back and sat underneath my chair. <laughs> uh, and I was like, okay, this must be the dog I'm supposed to take home. And, uh, and sure enough, I took him home and he's been, uh, you know, and he's been with me ever since. Is he with you right now? Yeah, Brutus, come here. Come here yeah, let's just take a look at Brutus. Uh, I'm going to adjust the camera so you guys can see him. Yeah. Hey, Brutus, how are you? Hey, boy. Hey, boy. <laughs> I see Planet Earth back there too. You're, you're, you're coming to us from the galaxy. It's, you know, pretty uh, apropos with this, with this SpaceX launch. Did you follow that at all? Um, I didn't, I was under the impression that it was going to be scrubbed because of the weather. So I didn't really watch it. I heard about it afterwards. Oh, they got the missile up and it's up in the, uh, it's up in the sky. And I was like, darn, I missed it. I thought it was going to be, because all the weather forecasts I heard were supposed to be raining in, in Florida. So I didn't bother trying to tune in and watch it. Yeah, no, it's and I, that stuff is so amazing to me. It's it's really cool. But um, hey, listen, I, so um, you know, I've talked to, I've I've done probably about fifty um, of these video casts, and I'm having a ball doing it. I mean, today I'm I'm kind of um, I'm I'm in almost like a closet because uh, you know our our law firm's pretty busy with people, and you know we're all socially distancing, etc. But right. you know, the coolest thing about you know this um you know this this medium is that i can be anywhere i mean you can be in outer space where you are right now and i can be in this closet <laughs> we can be talking so it's really fun but um I, I talk to people um about kind of odd things but i really want to know uh get to know a little bit about uh you like where you grew up and your folks and your family and uh if you could just let us know give us a little bit of background on that Sure. No, uh, I was born in Hinsdale, uh, so that's, uh, um, I was born the youngest of five. I have three older brothers and an older sister, uh, and uh, so I went to the local grammar school, uh, St. Isaac Joe's, and that's where, you know, I was an alt did the altar boy thing for, you know, for four or five years, and, uh, um, and all that, and uh, it was while I was in third grade uh, that I got the calling to be a priest. Um, I was- Hold I on a second. Hold on a second. Third grade, you get the the one eight hundred call, and it says, "Hey, Dennis, I'm gonna need you." Yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's a very colloquial way to put it, but it was just just a sense that I knew that I knew that I was gonna be a priest when I grew up. And were your folks were your were your folks uh, like uber Catholic or your siblings or what? Tell tell me tell us how that kind of worked out. Yeah, I, I know. Everyone, everyone thinks that, you know, my family must have been super Catholic uh, growing up. And I, I would just say we were your typical Catholic family. Um, you know, we didn't pray a lot. You know, we didn't pray the rosary. We didn't study the Bible uh, or anything like that. We didn't even say grace before meals until I got ordained. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, um, but, you know, we went to Mass every Sunday. We tried to go as a family until it just got impossible. But, um, you know, we always went to Mass uh, every Sunday. Um, and... Uh, um, but, uh, you know, I think just in looking back, I just always felt a certain closeness to God, even as a kid. Um, and, uh, and, uh, so, you know, when I came home and said I was going to be a priest, I mean, like, you know, you're at that age, yeah, you're going to be a priest this week and you're going to be a lawyer next week and you're going to be a doctor the following weekend and then you're going to be a fireman. Yeah. Yeah. You, know, you know, you go through these states, you know, you go through these things of what you want to do, but I got the call that I was going to be a priest and it just never, it just never left me. So where'd you end up going to high school, Father? I went to St. Ignatius College Prep in Chicago. Uh, so I, I was under the influence of the Jesuits for, uh, for four years. Um, you know, and it was, it was tough. I mean, I was commuting from 
you know, Hinsdale to Chicago, uh, caught the 6.59 a.m. express train from Hinsdale into Union Station, took advantage of the extra half hour to finish up any homework I was too lazy to do the night before, uh, and got on, you know, I caught the 3.30 train in the afternoon, uh, the all stop, and got into Hinsdale at 4.15. I still remember the schedule, uh, and uh, um, the hard part in high school was that um, I lost my dad uh, my dad died in uh, my freshman year. He died in November of 79. Um, oh, that yeah, must have been heartbreaking for you. It was, it was, um, especially, you know, and, you know, you're, you're a young kid and, you know, you're going through all those changes in life at that point And you don't have the, you don't have the role model and the, and the father that you need to kind of initiate you. And what does it mean to be a man and, you know, and how to be that. So, um, I mean, no offense to my mom. She tried, but you know, mom's a mom. She doesn't understand what it means. Right. I don't understand what it means to be a woman. Um, you know, there's just certain things you can only learn from, from some other people. And, uh, but um, yeah, so that, that was really devastating. Um, and I kind of emotionally shut down for about five or six years after my dad died. Um, and uh, it, took, it took a while before I started coming out of that grief and, uh, and that mourning period. Um, wow. And, uh, um, you know, so yeah, so that was, you know, so yeah, high, so high school is tough enough, but to go through high school with losing your dad, that was, that was even tougher, man. Um, and then where'd you end up going to college? Went to college at Loyola University in Chicago. So once again, four more years with the Jesuits and uh, um, the, um, and I was very privileged while I was in, while I was in college. Um, I, I lived in one of the dorms there and the, and the chaplain for our dorm was this phenomenal priest named Father Dan O'Connell. Uh, just, just a very great, very wise, very approachable man. He taught in the psychology department. Um, his specialty was psycholinguistics, uh, you know, the, the psychology of speech. Um, but he would say mass in our dorm every evening at 945. And then we'd gather in the dining room afterwards and have, have coffee and tea. You know, the, the, it was the, it was like the 945 study break, you know? And so, you know, we'd go to mass and, uh, um, after uh, you know, just a chance to to talk and everything, and he and I grew had a really great friendship that started. Um, he became my spiritual director while I was in, while I was at Loyola, and he gave me a chance to start processing out my uh, my feelings about my dad and what happened, and start talking about it. Um, and he was one of the few people who taught me what unconditional love was all about. Um, and uh, you know, it seemed like no matter what I talked to him about it didn't phase him and didn't bother him. Um, he was just a very loving, very kind uh, man who had a profound impact on my life. Um, Is he still living? He's still living. He's down in St. Louis right now. And uh, I mean, he's, he's older now. He's in his 90s. So he's getting a little bit frail with the health. Um, mentally, he's still pretty sharp. Uh, but you know, physically, his body is just kind of starting to go. I don't know much longer he'll be around. Uh, so, um, but uh, yeah, he's just a great man. That's wonderful. So then you, did you go right into the seminary after Loyola? No, I took a year off. Um, I took one year off just because, you know, eight, eight years nonstop of, uh, you know, of school and everything. I was kind of just intellectually just kind of fried and I knew I wasn't ready just to, I, I, I knew I couldn't just bounce right into the seminary and be ready for it. So um, I took a year off and I did a year of youth ministry work with an organization called the National Evangelization Teams out of uh, West St. Paul, Minnesota. And uh, we traveled around the, it was, I was on a team of 12 people and we traveled around the country doing retreats for high school and young adults. Uh, and, I, and my team was phenomenal. Uh, it was, a, once again, it continued that, it continued that healing process that, uh, that got it started in college. It continued that healing process for me. And, uh, and it was just great just to, to talk to these kids about God and the importance of faith and to help them experience a, a relationship with Christ. And, uh, uh, it, it was just, it was a tough year, but it was a phenomenal year as well. So, um, after that, then you went to the seminary, where, where'd you end up going? I went up to uh, St. Mary of the Lake up in Mundelein. Uh, so about an hour, hour and a half north of here. Um, and, uh, you know, and it was, you know, it was a little bit of a transition because a lot of guys had been through either college seminary, some had been through high school seminary as well. Um, but a lot of had come from college seminary. So they were already kind of used to the seminary environment I, you know I was coming in right right out of college and sure. uh, so it took a little bit of a transition for me to get used to the to the routine and the structure of it um, but academically it was pretty easy I was a theology major in in Loyola 
So some of the coursework was pretty straightforward for me. I, I kind of got it. So for me, it was revisiting stuff that I should have learned the first time, uh, but was kind of kind of hazy. Now this time I got it. Um, and uh, so I was up there for uh, I was up there for five years. I went four years to get my master's in divinity, and then um, I got uh, I went out for one more year to get a degree that's called the Your Licentian in Sacred Theology. Um, just just so um, where the Masters in Divinity is more of a pastoral use of, of theology, you know, how do I minister to people? Uh, the licentiate is more of an academic background in theology. So how, you know, so it just grounds me further in, into the theological tradition of the church. Have you, have you published much, Father? No, I haven't published anything. Uh, my problem is I have a little bit of ADD, so for me to sit down and write a book, that would just be, you know, and I wouldn't even know what to write about. And once in a while, I've had some people come talk to me about, you know, I should write something, and I just don't know what I would write. Um, so maybe, maybe as I get older and wiser, I'll figure, oh, yeah, this is what I should write about, you know. Um, yeah, with, this, with these new technologies nowadays with, that you can just speak into your computer, and um, I think that helps a lot of people that do have, you know, attention issues, you know, with, with sitting down and doing those types of things. Um, I, I've, I've seen that. I'm just going to go, Siri, write a book for me. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But, you know, the, yeah, so um, one thing I really want to talk to you about, uh, you, just, you just introduced it, um, you know, when, when you said in third grade that, that you basically felt a calling, mm -hmm. and then you talked about after college, you put retreat on. One of the things that, that, um, that, that I see is, is that a lot of people – um, don't have that closeness to God, don't have that close to, uh, closeness um, in their faith. And there's a lot of, there's a big group of people in America that are called the nuns, N-O-N-E-S, which they don't believe in anything. Right. Um, but um, so tell me how you developed that, that, that closeness to God that has provided comfort in your life. Okay, and uh, let me just preface my comments just to say that um, there, throughout my life, there have been times of incredible closeness with God, and I'm very blessed and very grateful for those times. But there also have been times with um, where I just felt the the absence of God. Sure. Well, you know, so I don't want anyone to think, oh, you know, I just lived this Pollyanna life. Um, well, Mother Teresa, Mother Teresa wrote wrote about decades. Mm -hmm. I mean, of that type of thing. So I, so I mean, I get it. And I, and I, yeah, use your own the way it is. Cause I, I really want to understand how you balance these things, how you develop these things, some skills that you've used, some, some listening skills, that type of thing. So yeah, I'll let you take it off. All right. Um, well, as I said, when I was in third grade, it was just, it was just a sense that I knew that I knew, um, you know, and there was a, just a very peaceful sense surrounding it. Um, and just said, hey, uh, you know, this is what I want you to do, you know, as you put it, the 1-800 number, but it was just, and I always thought that was odd um, until, A, I got into the seminary, met other guys who were kids when they got the call, um, and then also, uh, as I got grounded in the writings of St. Ignatius in college and in my college and, and beyond, um, you know, he, he mentions that, you know, one of the ways you discern your calling in life is one of the ways is you just have the certainty about what you're supposed to do. And so um, I just felt really, really grateful for that. It was a it was a very singular grace that God gave to me. And I'm very appreciative of that because it really gave me a grounding and a focus for the rest of my life. Um, and it's probably why I didn't get into trouble in high school after dad died. I mean, even though I could have. You know, it would have been very easy for me to have gone down a wrong road or two uh, during high school, but I just didn't. I mean, I just knew that that wasn't right. And uh, so, um, but I think, you know, as, you know, as I look back on my life, um, you know, yeah, in seventh and eighth grade, you know, I started getting the, you know, mass is boring. Why am I doing this? And, but I still had the calling to be a priest. So figure out how this was going to happen. Uh, you know, and, uh, and, and, uh, and, and then when dad died, that just kind of compounded it even more. Um, and uh, um, the, I was privileged to go on a retreat during my sophomore year uh, through a parish, uh, a nearby parish. And, um, and during this retreat, I just had this profound experience of God's love for me. Um, and it just really, 
it just really anchored me even deeper into my vocation, but even more importantly, anchored me ever deeper into my relationship with God. Um, and for lack of a better way of saying it, God just became real to me and just became this, um, this person that I could talk to and, and, have this, and, and, have, and have present in my life. And that was really a profound anchor, once again, uh, to, to kind of keep me rooted in, in my Catholic faith. And, and, and uh, you know, I, you know I, I started reading the Bible when I was in high school. Tell me how many, how, how many high school kids are reading the Bible out, you know, if, they don't have, if they're not assigned to do it. Um, and uh, started going to daily Mass. Uh, my high school, uh, being at a Catholic high school, I had the privilege of going to Mass at 12 o'clock. Um, during my lunch hour, during the lunch break, uh, so I went to mass and then I'd eat lunch and then and then head home and then go back to school for the rest of the day. Um, so that was really incredible. Um, in fact, the priest got so used to seeing me, he wouldn't start mass until I showed up. You know? <laughs> <laughs> you know? so that, that, I mean, yeah, it was like me and a couple of other kids would, would be there, and so it worked out really, really well. Um, so I mean, once again, so I just I, I just had um, you know, and I started praying at that point. Um, and uh, and through all of that, just really had a nice, strong foundation in my relationship with God at that point. Um, and uh, um, one, and it was also kind of important because, especially now that I'm older, as I look back on that time, one thing I didn't realize was, or I just didn't want to admit, was I was also suffering with depression at that point. Um, and. Uh, um, uh, and I still deal with depression on and off even now. Um, and, uh, so, um, but my relationship with God is something that I turn to for, for strength, especially during the dark hours, uh, and, uh, and all that. Um, but, uh, yeah, when I was in college, uh, went to, uh, as I said, I had the privilege of being able to go to daily mass again in, in college. Um, and just, you know, we had a chapel in our dorm, and so I just had a chance just to sit and pray a lot, just in silence, which was really, really good. Um, and uh, went, on a, went on my first experience, I went on uh, a week-long version of the spiritual exercise of St. Ignatius over Christmas one year. And, you know, and that was just a great experience for me. That was just, it just, it, it just anchored me even more deeply um, and kind of... Where did um, you do that, Father? Um, I did it through my dorm, and we did it at a retreat house that I think has since been torn down in Des Plaines. Um, it was owned by a group of nuns, and I think, you know, they, uh, and I think it just has gone bottom up since then. Um, so tell, tell us a little bit, so a lot of, some people don't, don't know who St. Ignatius is, and um, what his spiritual exercises are. Just if you give a summary of that, that'd be great. Well, shame on them for not knowing who Saint Ignatius is. <laughs> Saint Ignatius is one of my is one of my spiritual idols. Uh, Saint Ignatius is the founder of the Jesuits, um, and he had a profound uh, conversion experience in his life. He uh, he was fighting. He was holding off a fort. Uh, he was he's from the uh, 16th century. Uh, he's a Spaniard, and uh, he was a uh, conquistador as well. And uh, he, he was in the military and he always had dreams of being this fantastic warrior and everything. And uh, um, anyway, they were defending the sport from the French and uh, um, a, a cannonball came over the, came over the wall and shattered his leg. Um, or, and uh, um, and uh, he still rallied his troops to continue to fight and everything, but eventually they lost to the French and uh, probably the first battle the French ever won. But anyway, uh, the uh, the uh, and, and the French were so inspired by the way he fought and continued to fight even after his injury that they allowed him to go back home uh, to his place in Loyola, and hence why it's called Saint Ignatius of Loyola. And uh, um, it was while he was in, in recovery in, in his bed that um, he started. You know, you know, it's kind of funny when God has our undivided attention at points like that. That's kind of when he starts talking to us and starts getting our, he starts, starts using the times as we don't know anything else we want to do. And, uh, and that's kind of what happened with Ignatius. He started thinking about, uh, you know, the only thing that he was an avid reader and the only thing he could read was uh, they had a book on the lives of the saints in the Bible. That was the only two things he could read. And as he started reading the lives of the saints, he just started thinking, what if I were to do what St. Dominic did? What if I were to do what St. Francis did or Teresa of Avila? And, uh, and, and he began to realize as he thought about the things about God, how he'd be happy about them and that happiness would, would, would stay. Whereas if he thought about 
going into battle and resuming his former life that yeah he'd be happy about it but it would but it would leave him kind of dry after that so that's how he kind of began that whole understanding about what we call the discernment of spirits beginning to understand where god is calling us and where god isn't calling us um and his spiritual exercises are really just a meditation on the life of christ they're broken down to four it's a and its ideal form is a 30-day silent retreat, um, and I had the privilege of doing that in 1999. Um, and most people say the fact that I was silent for 30 days is a miracle in and of itself. Uh, but uh, um, the uh, um, and uh, but it's just really uh, you know the first week you're looking at um, you know you're looking at you know the, you know the sin in your life and the brokenness that's in your life and um, and the beauty of that is, is when you're meditating on that, you get to understand God's mercy and love for you in an even more profound way because it stands out in such a contrast to our brokenness and, and our sinfulness that God still loves us and accepts us in that in that brokenness. And then the rest of it is just meditating on the life of Christ, his infancy, his childhood, uh, his, you know, uh, the week of his passion and death, um, and then his resurrection and moving forward. So it just really it's really ultimately designed just to draw someone into a deeper relationship with Christ. Um, and uh, so, I mean, you can do a three day version, you can do an eight day version, you can do the full 30 day version. Um, and, uh, and it was just, a, it was just, once again, just a really powerful retreat for me. Um, um, and I knew it's some, just doing that, that eight day version, I knew it's like, Hey, I'm going to, I, I wanted to do a 30 day. I wasn't sure when it was going to happen, but I knew it was like, I got to do a 30 day version of this retreat. So let, let, so you end up going to Ignatius, you end up mm -hmm. going to Loyola. Mm -hmm. You would think that, that you would end up being a Jesuit. Yes. <laughs> uh, you know, I, two of my uncle's Jesuit priests, uh, one passed away and then one's, uh, one's in California now retired. Um, but uh, did you ever give consideration to, to joining the, uh, the Jesuits? Oh yeah, big time. No, I thought about him for a while, um, and then but I just I just had a hunch that and and the way my discernment went was, you know, no, I just I really felt God was calling me to do parish work, um, you know, to work in the parish, uh, to kind of be on the front lines, so to speak, um, and, uh, and not not be in a religious community. Uh, so um, I just you know so I you know and I just willingly obeyed and followed what God's will was for me and. Uh, um, you know, I've enjoyed being in the parish. It's had, it has its challenges, as anyone can imagine. Uh, you know, everyone thinks, oh, you're working for God. How wonderfully, uh, like, once again, you know, working for God's like working for anybody else except my boss knows everything that I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, right. He knows all your good stuff and your bad stuff, right? Yeah, exactly. You know, luckily, evaluation time is pretty good. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, well, plus, you, you know, you, you got the blessed mother looking over your shoulder, too, to help you out, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I have a very tight relationship with the Blessed Virgin Mary. Uh, Tell us about that. Let's talk about your relationship with the Blessed Mother. Wow. Um, once again, that's just something that has um, that has just developed over over time. Um, um, uh, I think I've always had an affinity for her, um, and uh, um, the. Um, uh, you know, she's always just been kind of a, a part in my life. Um, and I think, I think most priests have an affinity for the Blessed Mother um, because she's the mother of Christ. So one of, one of the titles <clears throat> that she's referred to as Queen of, uh, Queen of Clerics, you know, um, you know, because, and just, and because, um, you know, because she was there for her son at the death, at his death on the cross, she's also there for the priests who, who follow in her son's footsteps in a very, in a very special and very motherly and maternal way. Um, so, um, yeah, I turned to her, I turned her off and I prayed the rosary. Uh, yeah. I, when I was in high school and college, I prayed the rosary almost every single day. I prayed it quite a bit when I was in seminary, you know, and then it kind of ebbs and flows when I'm, you know, when I'm in the parish, just given how my days go. Um, but, uh, but I'm always just, I'm just always aware of her presence and her guidance and her intercession for me. Um, that's, yeah, that's great. So yeah, I, um, you know, we, we all got these journeys, and uh, I know my mom was was uh, you know really had a closeness uh, with the Blessed Mother, and she prayed the Rosary every day, and then she she basically had a book of people she'd pray for all the time, and all my friends 
just knew that they wanted to be in my mom's book. So even <laughs> when I was uh, off to college, they'd come by and make sure that I got, you know, they're in the book. She's still praying for them, et cetera. So yeah, I, um, you know, I, I was pretty lucky, uh, Father. I, I'm, I'm number nine of 10. Oh, wow. And so yeah, my parents, uh, uh, my, um, I'm really, I was really blessed with, with my crew. Um, and my mom's was, was kind of uh, a real, you know, well, interesting, you know, she's a really religious lady, um, daily mass type person when, when she could do that because she got sick uh, later on. But she, um, you know, uh, I think more her watching the way she lived more than what she talked about. That's kind of the, 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 the approach I think a lot of people see is they, they look at the role models like, you know, folks that uh, in their life and they watch what they do rather than what they say. Mm-hmm. And, um, right. You know, the, I get, so I, I want to switch gears a little bit here. Um, this has been a really hard time for a lot of people. And I'm assuming it's been hard for you too. Um, this whole um, COVID situation with our churches closed. I don't believe um, in the history of America the, that the churches were ever closed like this. Um, I may be wrong on that, but, but um, and so this has been such a disconnection for everybody and um you know being away from the eucharist uh, which is central to our faith and to have to watch it on television and all these types of things i you know part of me says that one of the reasons why i think this is um for me the educational is i learned what it was like to be in a nursing home Mm. or to be alone and and you know incapacity where i couldn't go to mass so i I become more sensitive to those folks and maybe I can reach out later on. But secondly, I just, you know, it's a lot of the things that we take for granted um, with our faith, being able to be in person, to be connected to people. I imagine that this experience has been kind of crazy for you in that you lived in the directory alone and you with your dog and you're used to being connected to thousands of people. So, you know, this is much of a big thing for you. Yeah, yeah, it has been. Um, I have a friend of mine who's a priest, and uh, he's a he's a hardcore introvert. And he goes, and for him, he jokes that this time off, this time for him was an introvert's dream. <laughs> you know, yeah, right. Yeah. Nobody around, and he'd be quiet and all that. <laughs> uh, you know, for me, I go, this is an, and I'm a hardcore extrovert, and that's an extrovert's nightmare right now. Um, but um, but throughout it all, I was really really peaceful. Um, I mean, yeah, I I miss the things that I. I could do because, you know, that would make me a priest, like hearing confessions, being able to go out and do anointings, uh, going out to the nursing homes and say mass, um, you know, even, even just counseling, um, you know, all that's been put on hold. Um, you know, we're starting to loosen up and we're starting to, we're slowly going to start getting back to uh, some sense of normalcy, um, but that's it's still going to be a while. And, uh, um, but, uh, yeah, so for me, the, you know, we're, and we're such, and you touched on it, we're such an incarnational religion. In other words, you know, we're, we're all about our, you know, we're, yes, we're about Christ, but we're also about that human dimension. I mean, that's why the sacraments are such, are so in person, they're personal encounters with Christ, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, uh, yeah, the Eucharist, the confession, anointings. I mean, these are all things that y- y- you can't do over video. You can't do them. Yeah. Over the phone, you know, uh, you know, I, I mean, I jokingly referred to we were going to change the, uh, the answering machine on my phone and go, if you need to go to confession, press one. <laughs> enter, <laughs> enter, the, enter the commandment you broke. You entered the first commandment. <laughs> <laughs> now I know how many times you broke the first commandment. I, yeah, right. That's good. That's good. You know, uh, but uh, yeah, it's, it, it has been rough. I mean, now luckily for me as a priest, I can say mass privately and, you know, so I, I can still receive the Eucharist, but even for me, it's not the same as having, you know, even having my weekday folks there, you know, the, the 20, 30, 40 people to be there for weekday mass. It's not the same as, you know, it's a much different quant. It's a much different quality than me just saying mass on my own. Um, you know, uh, you know, I kind of, I need those people to help me pray the mass. Um, sure. but yeah, it, so it really has been a hard time and we've been trying to, you know, we've been trying to adjust as necessary. You know, we, um, you know, we made the mass available on video, which 
at least fulfills a need to a point, but you're right. They still can't receive the Eucharist. Um, yeah. and, you know, and, and I, and I'm hoping after this is over and we get back to some sense of normalcy again, that, uh, people really take this to heart about how important Eucharist is in our lives as Catholics. And, uh, just how, you know, um, I just started hearing confessions a couple of weeks ago and, uh, you know, and one of the things I've been kind of noticing in people is that, you know, sins that haven't been a problem for them all of a sudden are starting to become a problem for them. Uh, and I think that's just once again, just being deprived of the Eucharist and the grace that that sacrament gives us, um, as well as, you know, as well as, you know, too much community can be a bad thing. You know, some sure. people are you know, hanging out with their family and they're finding out how irritated they get with their family. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it, it's been tough. It's been tough on all parties concerned. And, uh, um, uh, yeah, and I'm looking forward to the day when we can start saying mass again. Although I have a hunch that, you know, when we do start saying mass again, it's going to be a lot different than what we're used to. Sure. You know, and, you know, one of the things that I've, that I've seen over the last few months is that, um, you know, even with this, you know, with most recent, you know, you know, the uprisings and protests mm -hmm. in, in the cities, it's, um, you know, our faith is so important in how we approach these situations yes. and we don't have the, the Eucharist to deal with it. And, and, you know, one of the things, you know, um, maybe you could talk to us a little bit about, um, you know, you, you went to school in uh, downtown Chicago and, um, you know, we have, a, you know, all this racial divide that's going on in the country and all these, these huge fissures. And, you know, one of the things that, that as, um, you know, as Catholics, some of our greatest saints, you know, St. Augustine is from Africa. And um, probably, you know, he's got to be in the top 10, right? St. St. Augustine. Yeah. Um, Church, you don't get much higher than that. Yeah, and you know, um, Saint Augustine, you know, one of our great African saints, and you know, mo you know, most of the people in the Bible are, are brown people, <laughs> and yeah. uh, you know, and so you know, we're here, um, and so I, knowing the history of the church and our heritage and and all that type of stuff, it's so important, but nowadays here we are in 2020, and we have this this you know such a sad horrible occurrence in um up in minnesota which you know was a, a regular occurrence in a lot of different places and mm -hmm. and so how do how do we as catholics you know help the situation and be the helpers or be the responders yeah I, I think there's a couple of things we can do um and you're right the events that happened in, in minneapolis were just absolutely horrific you know the guy crying out that you know he couldn't breathe and he was calling for his mom um, and why the other cops didn't yes. uh, intercede and get the guy to stop doing what he was doing. Um, and, uh, you know, and I, I'm a chaplain for, for, uh, for a police department down near Joliet. And so, you know, I, you know, I, I, I kind of, I, I, I can kind of see things from both perspectives, but still doesn't excuse, you know, what happened, you know? And, uh, so the, um, but I think the first thing as Catholics we need to do is that Catholics have always, Catholics have always been, you know, instruments of change. I mean, we were there, you know, Catholics were involved in the civil rights marches with Dr. Luther King and, uh, um, and, and uh, you know, so we've always been, you know, advocates for, for social change and social reform because uh, it just flows out of the gospel in our relationship to Christ. Yeah. Um, I mean, the first pillar of Catholic social justice teaching is the inherent human every person has um and uh uh you know so that's part of the reason why we're, we're so strongly pro-life is because you know the unborn are that are humans and they deserve to have that human dignity but also the people of color they're also our brothers and sisters in christ they also have an inherent human dignity that you can't take away um and they need to be treated as such um and i think what these events are showing us um sadly just remind just continues to remind us how broken the human condition really is you know, it's not, you know, we're not totally depraved, but, you know, there is a brokenness there and we still have to overcome our, our sinful tendencies. Um, and one of the things we do as human beings um, isn't right, but we've always liked, we've always tried to find ways that, you know, one group would be better than another. Um, and, uh, um, and, and that's wrong. Uh, you know, we should all see ourselves as equals. And, 
um, you know, and, um, you know, and so I think we really have to turn to the teachings of the church to really show us and remind us what that social justice is. I think we really need to be tight with the Eucharist and the other sacraments um, and just really analyze, you know, you know, how are my feelings about other people from other races? Am I, you know, am I prejudiced? Am I, you know, um, you know, is, is there a bit of racism in, um, you know, in me? And I think if we're going to be honest, I think there is an element of racism in all of us, not, not, uh, you know, not to the extent, you know, where I want to go out and do harm, but, uh, you know, just even maybe even having that, that uncomfortability around other people of other races, um, you know, you know, that's just something, you know, because that, that goes against that unconditional love we're supposed to bear in the world. And we're also supposed to be peacemakers. So as Catholics, we're also called to bridge that divide between the races and to, by the grace of God, uh, to um, really, with the eyes of God, see everybody, as I mentioned, as our brothers and sisters in Christ, and to help heal that division so that we can truly become one people. And I mean, and obviously, it takes a lot of grace change to, for God to change our hearts. Uh, so, you know, yeah, we need the Eucharist, we need a strong prayer life, we need to be immersed in the scriptures, we need to be immersed in the teachings of the church, um, and just really become aware, um, and to become sensitive, um, that, you know, and even get it off, and even moving it away from uh, the race element, which obviously is foremost right now because of the current tensions, but even like, how do I feel about people who are gay? How do I feel about people who are gay and have HIV? Um, you know, uh, how do I feel about uh, people who are homeless? How do I feel about people who, who, who are drug addicts? I mean, it's so easy for us to look at them. Oh, that person's gay. I don't want to deal with them. Or this person's a homeless person. You know, they, you know, they just need to get their act together. Or, or this person's a drug addict. And, and, but these are precisely the people that Christ calls us to, to be with. I mean, if you look at Jesus's ministry, who did he spend time with? The tax collectors, the prostitutes, and the sinners. Uh, I mean, that's who he hung out with um, because, you know, as Jesus said, you know, uh, healthy people don't need a physician, but the sick people do. And so Jesus went precisely to the people who were kind of the downtrodden, the marginalized and the outcasts of his time. And we as Catholics have that same obligation uh, to, to reach out in compassion and love and, and mercy uh, to these people who are on the fringe, who feel like they're on the fringes, who feel that uh, they're being unjustly oppressed, who feel that their justice and their rights is being, are being taken away, who feel that, uh, the, that their dignity is being ignored. Um, and I think that's, and that's really where I think Catholics can come in and have a really profound impact in our world. Yeah, you know, my, my folks, um, Tom and Joanne, they, you know, when I grew up, I grew up on the West Coast uh, in this little town called Yakima, Washington. And you know, they're sitting there, there. you're what? My aunt it lives in Yakima, Washington. So. <laughs> oh yeah, what's what's her name? Uh, Evie Klein, K L E I N. Oh okay, yeah. So anyway, so I grew up grew up there, and so as I was was back there um, just this past week, and my um, my uh, the Monsignor Ecker, who who's uh, been there for years and years and decades. Anyway, he um, he told me that the Catholic school that was at St. Paul's where I, where I grew up, we grew up across the street from the cathedral mm -hmm. and was the biggest Catholic school west of the Mississippi. Mm, okay. And 1100 kids at Zenith back in 1958 or something. Anyway, mm -hmm. so, um, but my folks really, um, they're, they're very ecumenical. Mm -hmm. Um, they, you know, they, they reached out to everybody in the community and, um, were real, uh, my mom always taught me that everybody is a gift from God. And then my father really was the guy that he always found, looked to find the good in somebody. Even mm -hmm. if he, even if he, you know, didn't agree with them politically or, or they were just at different stations in life or whatever, he always tried to find the good in that person and focus on that. My mom was pretty good at that too. But it's like, that's, that's the, that's the move. Um, it would seem, you know, you know, when Jesus said that, you know, they, he was asked what the greatest commandments were, and he said, listen, the, the number one thing is you got to love God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength, everything. And then you have to love your neighbor as yourself. And everybody's our neighbor. 
And so right. the, the, the thing that the approach that, that I like was, is that the closer we have that relationship on that first commandment that we love God, then it flows a lot easier to go to that route. Whereas, you know, that's kind of the, the simple route that my folks taught me. No, and, and they're profoundly right. I mean, and Jesus was was very smart, obviously, being the son of God. He would, he would yeah, uh, that it starts with our relationship to God, you know, uh, and, you know, and all we do is respond to that love. So the Christian is just, is always in a spot, is always in the position of responding to God's love. We never initiate loving God. It's always, it's always a response because God loves us first. That's the, that's the starting point. Um, and then when the Christian realizes how loved they are, that continues to grow and deepen. But the, the, the most accurate barometer or the accurate thermometer about how genuine your love for God is, is precisely how well am I loving the people around me? Uh, right. People, family, my coworkers, the guy who cut me off on the street. Uh, you know, th that's, that's where the rubber hits the road. Um, and if I love God, then yeah, I, I can, it's more easy for me to, to love my neighbor. If we just try yeah. to love everybody on our own, it's not going to work. Um, yeah, you know, I, I, there's a couple stories that hit me on that is, you know, um, St. Teresa of Calcutta, um, you know, I read a lot of books on her just because she fascinates me, uh, how this little four foot eight Albanian woman, you know, in poverty ends up becoming a, a, a nun and, and moves to India and then was a school teacher for an Irish, you know, Irish, much Irish nuns, but then saw the poverty and, and basically started, formed her own order with the permission of uh, the Holy Father and and the way that she would treat people that were not her faith I mean everybody's was Hindu there and mm -hmm. and um, so she she basically uh, when people would come up to her and say a couple things they'd say number one hey this mother Teresa we got to come help you she goes well no you need to go home and love your family love mm -hmm. love your spouse love your kids that's where it all starts but secondly, she would say also, anybody that thanked her, she'd always, you know, point to the crucifix and say, everything I have, all the graces I have come from God, come from Christ, come from the grace that's been given to me. And so we're not a social service organization. We're basically, we're, we have go to mass first. We, we thank God for everything we have. We ask for the grace to deal with our our fellow man we deal with the, the folks that are dying on the streets the kids and um boy what a powerful uh way to look at things uh with mother Teresa who changed the world right exactly i mean she and, and and you're right she couldn't have done what she did without without the grace of god without having a deep love for god um and i mean she really took the heart that that uh that saying of jesus that said whatever you did to the least of my brothers and sisters you did unto me uh, she she lived that out, um, and uh, and she you know she also really kind of embodied uh, another saying Saint Teresa of Lisieux, and what we call her little way, where she just said, "You do the small, simple, ordinary things of life, but you do them with great love," um, and that's a that's a guaranteed way to holiness. Um, you know, because you're opening you know in order to do it with great love, you're opening yourself up to the to the love of God, and you know, and just kind of letting it. And once again, it's. It tells us back to something I said earlier. We're an incarnational religion. You know, Jesus became flesh and lived among us, um, and so we're called to be, we're called to be Christ incarnate. Not in the sense that we're, you know, not that we're that we're God, but rather in the sense of we have to, you know, we have to manifest Christ's love and mercy to the world, um, and we do that by relying on the gift of the Holy Spirit that was given to us at Pentecost, by relying on the graces that were given to us in baptism, uh, renewed in confirmation, and you know, um, receiving the Eucharist to make us stronger, to, to, go to, the, to go to the confession and to recognize where I still need that process of conversion going on and to grow deeper. Uh, you know, we, we, need these, we need these sacraments uh, to, in order to make us effective disciples in the world. Well, you know what? This has been a great hour, right? Um, I'm going to have to tap into more of this stuff later, Father Dennis. <laughs> so I don't care where you, what parish you're at. I'm hoping that you'll come back and talk to us because, you know, these are the big, the big questions. I mean, listen, um, you know, get, getting back to our great African saint, St. Augustine, you know, I, I maybe, correct me if I'm wrong, because since you're the theologian, didn't he, didn't he liken God to uh, a bloodhound that is constantly chasing us and we can run and run and run, but he'll never, ever stop pursuing us. And, you know, if anybody, so 
just a, just a minor confession, Father. I know we're not in the confessional, but, you know, um, I was a really selfish, vain, and I still am to a certain extent, but it's real selfish, vain person throughout, uh, you know, I, even though I came through a really, you know, devout, you know, mother and father, I, you know, we uh, just think it's loose, okay, all the way through. And then, you know, th there's times in my life, I've got six kids, we've had some bad stuff happen, you know, here and then, but, you know, what made me pivot, and I, fi I finally looked back and pivoted, and I saw, you know, God's love, and it just, you know, it changed me. Mm -hmm. right. And that's, that's huge. And, it, and so that whole bloodhound thing, this, that, this great saint, this St. Augustine, so pray for us, St. Augustine, that, that God's, no matter what we do, he's always going to continue to love us. And I love this message you're giving to people because it's a, it's a message of hope. It's a message of, you know, they say every saint has a past and every you know, oh, yeah. sinner has a future, right? And that's it. Yeah, and, the, and that's one of the old adages about the church. It's a sanctuary for the saints and it's a hospital for the sinners. Uh, you know, we, we both have to be together. And if we stop thinking, if we just start thinking it's just, you know, it's just supposed to be the sanctuary for the saints, then we're totally ignoring the important part of being that hospital for the sinners to let them feel accepted, loved, and forgiven, and healed so that they can be on their journey to sainthood. Yeah, well, I'm hopeful it's still, you know, accepting the hypocrites and sinners like me because I'm the, one of the biggest <laughs> hypocrites of all time. I talk a pretty good game, but, you know, every day I got to work on that game in the morning, that round game at night, and just really work hard on it. But I really appreciate your time. I know that you're a real busy guy. You got a lot of stuff going on. But I hopefully I'll be able to schedule you in again because this has been great. I mean, the next time maybe you'll have another background. I mean, now we're about <laughs> playing to take a look at everything. I mean, it's like, but you know, it's it's really cool, really cool. But thank you so much, Father, for spending some time with us. Oh, my pleasure. I had a great time, and yeah, I would love to do this again and kind of get into the uh, the deeper questions of life because it's something we don't do often. And uh, and uh, but uh, no, and I love talking this stuff, whether you know whether it's just the general chit chat or the deeper stuff of, of life. No, I had a great time and look forward to doing it again. All right, Father. We'll we'll talk soon. All right. Take care. Bye bye. Bye bye. Thank you for listening to the opening statement with Joe Shannon. You can find us on the internet at shannonlawgroup.com or telephone our office at 312-578-9501. Have a terrific day.